If you will, take your Bibles and turn with us to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. It's kind of of a continuation, obviously the same chapter we were in last week, but it is a part two sequel, if you will, to last week's uh, continuing saga as we walk through the narrative of Christ's life here in the Gospel of John. It's not Bible stories. It's not Christian fables. It is narrative history. The very God who created the worlds and everything that is in them, including you and me, became flesh, and He lived a historical life just like you and I do. And so when we look at this passage, we're not saying, wow, you know, that's a really neat story. You know, we were entertained for a half hour, or, or we were, you know, we were encouraged for uh, that amount of time, or, you know, boy, it really sparked our imagination. What we're reading is actual events that happened. And so when we read it, we approach it with that very perspective. Now, last week we were talking about the first, the initial encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well. And where we left off in verse 30, she has gone into the city and has announced that she has met a man that told her everything she ever did. And then she adds to it, isn't this the Messiah? Isn't this the one we've been looking for? Isn't this the one that we heard from old that would be sent to us for us? Well, we pick up in verse 31 tonight, if you will there. Chapter 4 of John's Gospel, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No, no, no one brought him food. No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Did one of you guys run out here before the rest of us got here? Did you see somebody leaving besides that woman that just walked away? No. no. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then the comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored, Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You have become a part of the work that is going on. Now, we're going to stop there just for a moment. And I want us to begin this first half of the, the time together this evening. That First of all, real food. Real food. Now, now, the disciples came back thinking they had real food. They had brought, they'd gone into the city of Sychar where this woman was headed back into as they were uh, approaching as well. And now uh, we know from the text that the, the crowd has been utterly shocked. The city has been set on edge by this woman who they had known but never admitted knowing. It's one of those kind of relationships. Her, her personal history is such that no self-respecting, even a self-respecting Samaritan wouldn't have much to do with her, in good public company at least. But her boldness in telling what she had just experienced is so shocking, so unsettling, so 
curious that the city sets aside its regular activities and begins to follow out to Jacob's well. Now, you have to look at in that context, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now, I want you to understand, this is on the immediate heels of one of the most awkward moments they could have experienced that day. They walked up, and they were shocked to see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman, just as she had been shocked that he even opened his mouth and asked her a question, even for a drink of water. Now, they were shocked, but you know the, the, those that, that have read Scripture and, and you see the context and you think about you know, who these men were, these were likely young men. Peter, being the oldest, was probably mid to, mid to maybe later 20s. John, the youngest, probably 14, 15 years old. A young group of men. So maybe we can say, well, you know, those young people, they just don't get it. Or, or maybe they, you know, they just, you know, were, you know, they're boys and they're hungry. It's time to eat. They've got food. They're, they're not even thinking about what just happened. But in front of them had just happened a most incredible moment. In fact, it was so incredible that in that instant, they didn't say anything. They may have thought it, according to the Scripture, but they didn't interrupt. But instead of being concerned about what just happened, and how does that fit into what we're doing here in the middle of the Samaritan region anyway? They just say, hey, Rabbi, eat. <laughs> can we, can we, you, know, you say grace. <laughs> you say it better than any of us. <laughs> you, know, you say grace and let's eat. That's their focus. They thought they had the real food. And, and to their credit, they had left him. And the last time that they had been encountering him or been around him, he had sent them to go in to get food because it was the Sixth hour, and he was exhausted from his journey. So the last thing he had said to them directly was, Hey, I'm tired. Why don't you get some food? I'll wait here for you. So to their credit, they were, they were saying, Hey, we did what you asked. And isn't that our tendency? We come back to the Lord, and, and He's given us some clear instructions. He's prompted our spirit to, to do thus and such. And, and we come back and, and we say, Look, Lord, I did what you said. Instead of saying, you know what? We're just unworthy servants. We've done only what we ought. You don't have to recognize it. We know we're a, big, we're, we're a small part of a bigger plan. Or, Lord, I know that we were away for a while and then we came back. That, that awkward moment happened. That I, we're not real sure. Why was, there, why was there a conversation going on between you and that woman? There was no curiosity, at least expressed in the Scriptures, that, of that. But I'm curious, and I think we all ought to be curious. Why? Because we go back to chapter 4 and verse 4. It says there that he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. We talked about that last week. He didn't. And so what was, if he didn't have to, but he was, what was the reason? What was the intent? What was the purpose? What was, get it, the mission? And oh, by the way, we're in an awkward moment on an awkward route to, to, uh, to and from Jerusalem. And you just had a, a really, we, we walked up at a, apparently a really pivotal moment. It was, we didn't know what to even say, we, and so we didn't say anything. All of this is feeding into this moment. <laughs> and they didn't even ask, you know, was that why we had to come through Samaria? 
Was she the reason? Because we're going to find out it was indeed part of the reason why he had to come through Samaria. We can often be doing what is right. We're being obedient and, and we, you know, we went and got the, the lunch for the Lord and, or we did this thing or we did that thing and we come back and, and yet we remember, you know, Lord, I did what you said and we're not even asking questions. How does that fit into what you're doing in a bigger scale? What does that, what, is there any way that we might learn in this moment? What does that, that, that moment of, of, of pure, unquestioning obedience, Lord, what does that do in regard to the bigger mission you're trying to accomplish? Not just in my life, but through my life and around my life, in the bigger picture of what you're doing in this world. How can I better understand my part? I, you don't have to tell me everything, but, but Lord, is there some insight you want for me? And Jesus says, look with me. Not even responding to their offer, he says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And again, they're, they're still very, very, uh, how to say it, very concrete in their thinking, very temporal, very human level, earthy. And then at this moment he raises, you see, my food is to do the will of the Father. My wow. You know, you you guys, I know you're young and you're growing and you know you're 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 pulled along a lot of days by your appetite or appetites. My mom, I can still remember, she would tell my brother and I, more him than me, obviously, but she said, if you don't, you know, if you eat some sweet or you eat some snack, you're gonna ruin your appetite. Well, I don't know when, but it was early. I figured out, you know, if I ruin this one, I'm going to get another one. <laughs> but young men are often, you know, they're very temporal, very, very earthy, very bound by the concrete. And they're just thinking, what food did he have? And then he has this opportunity, this moment. He says, look, guys, you, you need to understand there are times when doing what God has called you to do right when he calls you to do it, just as I've submitted to the Father and being led by the Spirit through Samaria and leading you along as well, I am submitting to the Father obediently. And it, it fills me, it energizes me. Some of you know, most of you at this point know Jamie Fish, my colleague. He works in our, and leads our biblical counseling ministry. Several years ago, probably not long after Wendy and I came back to Bellevue and, and came on as a staff member, uh, Jamie and Cindy and Wendy and I went to the Ukraine on a mission trip. And, of course, there's a lot in travel. There's a lot of time where you're sitting and waiting and you're talking. And, you know, we were, we'd, all, we'd already known Jamie and I went to seminary together at Mid-America. And, and uh, anyway, we were talking and catching up. And I, I just remember this conversation as clearly as if it would happen this afternoon. Cindy and, and all was talking as all of us were around a little table. And she said... I, I just want to tell you, Jamie, when he has like eight or ten appointments right in a row, one right after the other, he comes home at night and he's just energized. He's just so excited and about what happened. And I was like, oh my. Oh my. That that I'm I understand, you know, being, you know, being an encourager, but if I had eight to ten issues, family issues, marital issues, personal issues, one right after the other. And, you know, with very little, if any, break throughout a whole day. Listen, 
<laughs> Wendy would be glad for me to have made it into the house and landing on the couch for the rest of the evening. No talking, you know, he's used all his words. In fact, he's heard everybody's words uh, today. He doesn't need any more. She would know that. But again, God makes us different than he might make us one in his body. And I'm grateful for that. But he, he had the ability and still has the ability to raise people's understanding that what's, what you're doing may seem right at the moment, but there's a bigger picture at hand. And he helps them see the big picture so that they can make individual choices in the moment to do better, to do differently, to do as God has called us to do. Well, Jesus is doing the same thing for these young men. He's saying, listen, I want you to raise your sights. I want you to see that there are times when you can be energized, not simply by the protein or the calories you take in, but by obeying Christ in that moment. And it's not that you can do that forever. Fasting you know, forever is, is not the, the biblical model. They're for a season, for a day, for a time, for, in a way, yes, there's certainly fasting involved, but we're not saying that you can always go without food. And Jesus wasn't saying that. We're not even told if he picked up a sandwich on the way off from, the, from that moment. But the reality is that he was energized. He was fulfilled by doing the will of the Father. I think a lot of times, well, you know, God, I, I'm grateful I get to obey you today. Thank you for that opportunity to serve you. But we're not energized by it. In fact, we, it's almost obligatory, not, 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 the, not anywhere near a rejoicing within that comes out as an overflowing fountain in our lives. But that's what he was telling them. Listen, I have food that you don't know about, and they go, oh, it's, well... My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Do you not say... Now, now, before I read that, understand, He had to go through. He has this incredible encounter with this Samaritan woman. The boys come back up with lunch and they are at least... Maybe it's the Spirit of God that closed their mouths, but at least at that moment it seemed like they were you know, wise. Some people say... If you're afraid that people think you're a fool, don't open your mouth and remove all doubt, okay? Um, the reality is that they were quiet, and, and yet they weren't asking, and he raises their view. He, he shows them real food. In, incredibly real food is available as we obey God. And then he begins to say, I want you to understand my will, my, excuse me, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish His work. Guys, there was a reason that I was here. You were getting food, but I was being filled. I was being satisfied in obedience to the Father's mission for my life. Now we're going to see what that is and why it was so important. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. People talk about, you know, hey, we're going we're gonna to keep doing and we're going we're gonna to be in obedient. We're going to be faithful. And, and absolutely, faithfulness, just doing the, the right thing one step after another is great, great testimony of the, the life of Christ. But a lot of times those are also tendencies to say, what's going to make things happen is me being diligently obedient. And let me share with you, God calls us to obedience, but that's not what brings the increase. One plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. Okay, 
It's God that makes things happen. It's God that causes healing to occur. It's God that causes uh, fruit to grow. It's God that provides for us. Even though He calls us, I want you to be obedient so that I have the ability, the unmitigated ability to bless you as I see fit. But let's, let's be honest. I get to decide how to bless you. I get to decide how to increase, how to render your due. That's not up to you. That's not dependent upon you. You be faithful, and I will show myself faithful. The Scripture goes on here to not only to see, again, the, the real food, but 35 and following. It's not just about you being diligent and you being you know, in the harvest. You say there, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, let's look. And it's, again, not only has he, uh, how to say, mentally or spiritually raised their sights, but now he's actually, I believe, telling them to look up physically. Guys, put, 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 you know, John, put, I know, put the sandwich down. Put it down. Stop. Okay, did I got your attention? Okay, great. Look. And I believe he directed them to look at the city that was now coming toward them. It wouldn't have been in the, in the warm Middle Eastern sun because typically they would wear head coverings because of the heat and because much of that was made in a lighter fabric, almost white, and especially in the hot day sun, to look and see this, this crowd as it makes its way walking toward the, that it's all their heads were covered in light white fabric. Look, the fields are white under harvest. You see, they were in Samaria. They weren't looking for a harvest. And even if they had, they'd say, well, you know what? We got to do, you know, we got to set up a, a system. We've got a, a five year plan in order to plant a church here in Sychar. And then we might start, you know, by the time that's over, maybe we start seeing the harvest. And he says, wait a minute. Look with me in verse 35 again. There yet, you say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the, on the fields that they are white for harvest. I've made them ready already. You thought it was all about your cultivating diligently? No, 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 no. It's about, <laughs> it's about my divine coordination, not your diligent cultivation. It's about what I'm bringing together. You don't even know what's going on. Have any of you been at that moment where you realize, oh, wow. Oh, I've been praying about this. I've been, I've been doing what I believe God's called me to do in this matter. I've been, I've been trying to be, you know, encouraging to, about the whole situation. I've been diligent. But all of a sudden, I, I'm still expecting it's going to take some time. I, I'm not lacking faith that God can do it in any time, in any way, and in, in however much He wants. But, but I just had it in my mind it was going to be a little while. I was, I was setting myself up for, for the waiting and but God's coordinated this thing and this person has been doing this and all this has been happening and all of a sudden you find yourself at the very apex of an incredible number of God's workings at once. They come together and boom, and the harvest is ripe. <laughs> Every time 
you and I step out in faith. We need to understand, before you and I got to that moment, maybe, maybe it's, a, maybe it's you've, been, you've been praying for uh, a colleague or a neighbor or a friend or a family member, and, and you've been praying for them and praying for the right time, and you, you understand the dynamic of that situation, at least from a human perspective, what you know you can know, and, and you've been waiting, and all of a sudden, God says, here's the open door. The, the field is ripened to harvest. It's, it's white. It's just, all you have to do is go out and pick it. It's, it's the best low-hanging fruit. It is ready. Don't wait. It's, it's ready. And when you do, all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, not only was I ready, but the individual who I had hoped would be receptive has had some things happening that they start to tell me as the conversation opens up that I could not have orchestrated myself, but I wonder of wonders, God has been at work on the other side of that witnessing opportunity. And look, normally when I'm trying to talk to my neighbor, their kids or our kids or the dogs or the, the mailman is all kind of making racket and everybody gets distracted, but you know what? We've been talking for 10 minutes and nobody is around. You think God might be up to something? Beyond what you had cultivated, beyond what you had prepared for, beyond what you had diligently worked at, God says, look, I want you to be faithful, but don't be shocked. God is at work as well. The Scripture says there's not only real food, but there's ready fields. I I want you to to know this. We are so often worried about the right time to witness. It's always the right time to witness. Now, I understand you can't go full bore on somebody, you know, just in, in, without any consciousness of, you know, their response initially or what they're saying. You know, body language is 80% of communication. If they're, if they're trying to do this while you're trying to witness to them, it may be that they're not really hearing what you're saying. I get that. But a lot of times we are so intent on waiting for the right moment, waiting for the harvest that's already there in front of us that we miss it. And one thing I knew, though I did not grow up on a farm, I grew up near farms. <laughs> my, my, both my mother's family and my father's family were farm families. And so my grandparents, when I was growing up, were farm people as well. They were still doing some. They retired, but... Still pretty, you know, farmers are like pastors. We never really quit. Uh, retire, no, we're faithful unto death, hopefully, as we have opportunity. But the reality is that my grandparents would have me all and my brother all summer, one or the other, back and forth. we go from one, and it was just a wonderful time growing up. Cousins that were still working the farms and all that. But let me tell you what I learned about harvest is that harvest is coming, it's a really good time, but it is hard work. Why? Because it has to be gathered quickly. Because ripe fruit will not lay in the field for very long before it begins to rot. Now, I don't want to take the illustration too far, but just be reminded, if God's prompting you, as pastor says, if God's prompting you to tell somebody about Jesus, one, you know it's not you. Because in the flesh and sin, you and I wouldn't do that. And we sure know that it's not the devil telling us to witness. So it must be the Lord. So when you're prompted, it's harvest time. 
Gather as quickly and as much as you possibly can. Encourage folks. Tell people in that moment of opportunity, as many as will listen, if it's one person or if it's ten, tell as many as will hear there is a Savior who's coming to the world. Look with me again. Not only is there ready, excuse me, real food and ready fields, but there's also, verse 39, pick up there with me. From that city... Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who's testified. He told me all the things that I've done. So the Samaritans came to Jesus. They were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Can you imagine? No, pre, prep, no, no preparation. No prayer walking through Sychar. No missionary reconnaissance about what would be the best methodologies to reach this city for the cause of Christ. But the uh, people, upon seeing what that, yes, they responded to her. And she had a powerful, powerful testimony. And she, in her testimony, in her honesty, in just this, wait a minute, this woman always skirted the, 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 the square, got, stayed away from conversation. She was out in the, everybody had seen her come back at the wrong time of day with water because she wanted to avoid the crowds. But all of a sudden, instead of avoiding, she is drawing the crowd and saying, listen to me. I found a man who told me everything I ever done. Is he not the Messiah? And I go, eh, that's, uh, well, it's not just what you say, but my goodness, your whole demeanor, your whole countenance is different. It's not just what you're saying, but how you're communicating. There's, the, there's this intensity, there's this authenticity, there's this openness, this, this, this whole uh, transparency that you've never illustrated. There must be something about having it. And even if it's just for a minute, we'll go out and see what you're talking about. But then, after the powerful testimony, there is a personal transformation that happens in them. Look what happens in their conversation. Many, verse 41, many more believed it because of His Word. That is what He was telling them directly. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. That is, we're not just hanging on, well, it happened for her. And we're curious. For we have heard for ourselves. And get this, no that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. We came out because, credit where credit's due, you have a powerful testimony of life change. But just because this person who we really didn't trust in the first place has an, uh, an experience doesn't mean that we're going to buy into it. But we were curious enough to come out, and now we've heard him for two days. And let me just tell you, we want to affirm to you, it's not, we're not just hanging on your word. We heard his word. We listened to what He said. We found out who He was. We interacted with Him. And guess what happened? We now see. We have heard for ourselves and we know. We have nailed the stake in the ground for ourselves. We know that He is, get this, the Savior of the Jews. No, He didn't say that. No, He said Savior of the world. You see, these boys needed to see something about their Lord that they may not have really grasped on and many would not even after He was resurrected. Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jews. 
He's not just the one who comes to redeem His own people alone, but He has come through the Jews, but for the whole world. And fellas, when I'm gone, when I've been crucified, buried, and rise again, and then ascend to the Father, when I send the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth, you need to hold this as one of the primary ones. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel isn't just for the Jew, it's for the Samaritan, it's for the everyone. And let me just share with you that why do I know that that's what he was communicating? Why was that part of the mission? What was it that he said, boys, here's the question, the title of tonight. Boys, what are you looking at? So often we're looking at the temporal food instead of the heavenly food. We're looking at not just we're not just looking at the opportunity of having physical substance, but we need to be looking at what is God going to fulfill our life's call. If He's doing it in me, what does that make possible beyond me? You see, we are so, so prone. No matter what our age, no matter what our generation, no matter what the culture was when we were this age or that age or now, human beings are prone to self-centered navel-gazing. It's all about us. It's about our, our appetites, our wants, our concerns, our, you know, us for no more. You know, you know, that kind of focus on just us. But Jesus saying, listen, I want you to raise your eyes to see the harvest. And oh, by the way, that harvest is a lot bigger. That field, those fields are a lot more expansive than you've ever dreamed. And he spent two days talking in front of his disciples, along with his disciples, beside his disciples, but also right in the midst of the Samaritans. And after a two-day Bible conference with the Lord Jesus himself, they turned to the woman. And I, I want you to be... We, we don't know all the innuendos that aren't there. We don't argue out of silence, but I can just give a little informed biblical imagination. I might have said, Sister, because I could call her that now. Sister, we know who you were. We now know who he is. And the same change that he made in you, he made in us. Thank you. But we want to just tell you, it doesn't depend on you. Going forward, it's not going to depend on you. What's going to happen is, we're all, along with you, sister, we're going to continue to follow the one who is the Savior of the world. And you know, pastoral care and ministry across the last 35 years it really taught me that most of the time the people that are willing to do the most are the ones you think need the most. There's so many times when I find people that are hurting are the very ones that are willing to help somebody else. David Coombs and Cheryl, his wife, were at the um, Christmas store this past year. And the year before they had met two families and the families, while God has done a redemptive work and uh, just after the uh, the first of the year, two years ago now, a couple that had come, they were unmarried, and, and they had children between them. 
they were long time. I mean, they had nearly grown children, almost two decades together, but never had made it official. And David just kind of encouraged them and said, hey, we'll be glad to help. You know, if you're willing to go through and we'll, we'll look at this. He, he had already assessed that, you know, there's no reason that we shouldn't help this couple get married and just, you know, it'd be a blessing to them, blessing to their children. And he called me and I got involved and I walked them through uh, the counseling process. And then on a Wednesday night, or excuse me, on a Wednesday afternoon before anything started here, that couple came into the chapel and with their children and a couple of extended family members and we saw them united in marriage. It was so sweet. But this past Christmas, now economically, they're still struggling. They're still trying to keep, and, and they qualified. And, or maybe they were helping, I'm not sure, but anyway, they were, they were still part of that ministry. And another family came in, and the fella who's uh, kind of a, <laughs> I don't know that you can have many, but he's a, he's a unique person. He's still a kind of a, tra uh, a shade tree mechanic, you know. It's so complicated and computerized, you can't really be a, a lot of shade tree mechanics anymore. But this guy had, you know, ability. And he had, a, you know, just, just good with his hands generally. <laughs> the second family came in and said, hey, we've got this situation in our plumbing and we can't seem to get anybody out. And, and David's talking through this with them and trying to figure out exactly what it has to do with a kitchen compactor and uh, drainage pipes that were leaking and they were trying to keep it just, you know, just literally we're talking tape and gum and chicken wire holding this thing together. And so David's like, well, you know, I think we could probably find somebody to come and look at it and see what was involved and see if we can help you. And, and the man who's seen Christ work in his marriage and his family, he walks back over. <laughs> now, he hasn't got much. He's got, a, he's got a few things, but he, does, but he doesn't have a lot of resources. But what he has, he said, you know what, I think I could help with that. And sure enough, he did. He went to the home the next day. Got they all coordinated and got, and he went over and and it got. A, it was actually you understand. It was a little more than what they had said uh, was the problem. But he just went after it and took care of it. Now he didn't. He didn't have a lot. He didn't have grand resources. Oh yeah, I've got I've got seven trucks I run plumbing service for, and you know one of them probably isn't going to be busy tomorrow. We'll come up. No, it was just him. He was trying to make ends meet for his family along with his wife, and he just gave what he had. I want to tell you, folks, if you're waiting around until you have all the resources to help somebody else, then Satan is causing you to look down at your sandwich. And Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes to the harvest. Look with me again, he says in closing. We see all this happen in Sychar. Verse, John tells in verse 46, Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee. What happened at Cana? First miracle was water into wine. Now he's been in Jerusalem and he's manifested his power, his, his, his ability to do the miraculous, and now he's come back through. They didn't, know, they, they didn't follow him through Samaria and Sychar. But he comes back out into Galilee in Cana where he had made water to wine, and there was a royal official. Now, it does not say a royal Jewish official because there was no such thing at the time. Remember, they're under Roman rule. This is likely a court uh, personnel member of Antiochus Philip. 
Now, you'll remember him from all the shenanigans with John and how one brother had divorced his own wife in order to marry his sister-in-law. And John said, this should not be. You're not, you're, it's not right that you're marrying her or you're, you're, she is with you. All that drama behind it. But this, this royal official who serves in that area of government, in that, that part, the Tetrarch of Galilee, the royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. That's eventually the, the, the kind of the headquarters, the, the sending out place of Jesus throughout his uh, public ministry. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, no mention again of coming through Samaria, just out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him, that pleading, begging him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now we find out later it had something to do with a fever. It might have been an infection of some kind. We're not sure. But the reality is it was point of death. They, every sign said, given the medical technology of the day, every sign points to the fact that he's not far from death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Now, the, the quote is not just to the man. He's not just, you know just nailing the guy to the wall. He's saying it in a general sense. The royal official, as if he had not even heard. He did not respond to what Jesus said in any way except this. Sir, now he's imploring him to, in verse 47, come down and heal his son. That's, what, that's the imploring that's being done. And then he says in verse 49, as if he didn't even hear the master, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now this is probably an Edomite by, by, uh, by uh, excuse me, ethnicity. He was put in place by the Roman. He was serving under a, 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 a pseudo leader that Rome had placed, not the Jews themselves. And he would have probably been, because he was a royal official, a part of that trusted, uh, again, somehow related kin to the one who was in place as Tetrarch. He didn't need a Jewish background. He didn't need, hey, I've been following you all this time and I finally have a question, I have a request of my own to ask. No, he just met Jesus right there from all indications. But when Jesus responds the second time, look with me. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. Now, again, we often read our own eisegesis. We, we think we know what's happening and it doesn't say that. We don't know whether the man was frustrated. There's no indication of that. We don't know that Jesus was terse, although... In our language, because it's so short of a statement, we think, well, he must have been irritated. There's no indication of that. That's just us, 21st century uh, in, in you know, Memphis, Tennessee, thinking we understand what was happening in Cana 2,000 years ago. All we have is the words, and that's what we have to depend on. Right? Not, the, not the assumption, but we do need to see here what happens. Verse 50 doesn't even finish the, we don't even see the end of the thought before we hear the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. He didn't say he believed in a general sense. He just said, I'm going to take you at this point, what you said, 
and started off. He believed enough. Okay, I don't. I, you're you were last ditch hope anyway. All the medicine that I could afford, I would have tried by now. My son is about death, and I've come out to meet you because I heard you'd come back into the air, and I'm begging you and begging you. I'm I'm a royal official. I'm begging a Jewish rabbi, an itinerant evangelist of sorts who has no standing in my world and yet because I've heard what he can do, I'm begging you once my only hope. Would you do that? And if I'm going to beg you, that itinerant rabbi, and you tell me go, that he's healed. Okay. And he started off. I don't have any other option. I've got to trust that what he said is true. And he did. Look with me in verse 51. And as he was going down, his slaves met him. That is, <laughs> the next day. He, travel, he leaves Jesus with just that one instruction. The next day, we're hearing this. His slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. When did he turn the corner? Then they said to him, Yesterday, again, so he's been walking all night or traveling at least overnight. At the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was that, at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. Now here's the wonderful thing. He took him at his word where he was with the amount of faith that he had at that moment as a royal official, unfamiliar with all the Jewish background of what the Savior was going to be or what he was promised to be or anything. Had nothing, but this guy has been working miracles. But what little faith he had, he responded in that amount. And then verse 53 finishes, and he himself believed and his whole household. He said, Look, I, 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 my mind's blown here. You know, the emoji, you know, if he'd had a texting system, you know, you'd see that little round face with the explosion at the top of the head. You know, my mind's blown because guess what? You say my son began to get better at the seventh hour. I mean, you, you knew, yes, sir, that's, that's exactly what he was. Guess what? Jesus of Nazareth told me, Go. Your son lives right at that same hour. And they're looking at each other. I mean, do what? Do what? What did he say? Master, Master, would you please repeat what you just told him? I went and I begged on at least two occasions the Master Jesus to heal my son if he could. And I didn't know what to do, but he said go that the boy lives. I didn't have any other option, so I headed home. And you're telling me, I, I remember, because I, when he told me to go, I kind of looked around to see how much time and, and distance I could make in the, before I'd get home. And I remember it was the seventh hour. Oh, Master, it was the seventh hour. We're sure. We're sure. Well, what does that mean? We don't have all the commentary. We don't have all the narrative of that conversation. But apparently, he believed and his whole household with him. 
This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when He had come out of Judea into Galilee. (laughs) I want to tell you, when you and I are looking around, we need to look up. When we're caught up in our doing good and doing right and just kind of keeping, you know, we're just trying to keep it between the ditches and we're trying to, you know, do do life as best we know how. And Lord, if you'll just bless, we're trying to do what you've called us to do. Do that. With all your heart, do that. But remember, when you're in the drudgery and the daily discipline and diligent effort, remember, you be faithful, but God's the one that gives the increase. And oh, by the way, when He does something, He does it way beyond what you anticipated. You thought, <laughs> you thought I was just stopping to get a drink of water and a lunch when you got back from town. But you see, I opened up an entire city to the gospel. You, you thought I was annoyed because people are always just wanting more and more. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But I granted that man's request because there was an entire household of unreligious people, secularists. Y'all know any secular folks? It's not that they believe something else. They just don't believe anything. They believe in them. But they don't believe for God or against God. They don't believe there is a God. They live their life as... And and let me just tell you, God wants them just as much as He wants the ones that are ready to hear as a child and respond to Him. He wants the half-breed Samaritan and the totally pagan, Edomite, secular official. He wants the woman who couldn't show her face in public and the guy that was the... (laughs) Let's just say he he was the press secretary for the Tetrarch always in front of the public. He cares as much about a woman who has no ability to do anything for him as much as he does a man who has come and said, I can't do anything else. I will run out of options. Everything I have, I'd give for my boy's life. Oh, you've got a lot to give. No. None of that matters when it comes to my child. And yet at every end of the spectrum, these moments, he's saying, guys, lift your eyes up. There's a lot more people in the harvest than you anticipated. You see, that man sitting right over there on the second row, my father-in-law, Phil, taught me. "Mm." Let's just say, if I had known it before, he, he really dug down and buried it in my soul. Everybody that you and I will see tonight, tomorrow, or the rest of the week, the rest of our lives, is going to be headed into eternity in one direction or another. What are you looking at? Are you looking at your day's task list? Are you trying to see as the Father sees? Are you worried about your <laughs> your list? Are you really concerned about their eternity? 
lift up your eyes. What, my friends, are you looking at? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder that you came to seek and to save that which is lost. You had to go through Samaria. You, you listened and responded to a person who had no connection with the faith. But because you love little children just as much as we do, you chose graciously to redeem that boy's life as a catalyst for faith, not only in his father, but the entire household. Whether it's a city in desperation and in, in, in need for the gospel in a way that we've never known it before, and our city is like that, or whether it's people who have just lived a life totally separate from God, secular in every way, Father, <laughs> we have been given the responsibility to look up and see the ripeness of the harvest and to tell them of the one who is the Savior of the world. We rejoice, not in what you're going to do for us, but Father, what you want to do through us in the days ahead. Help us to see every person as they are, a soul for whom Christ died, a soul that Christ desires a relationship with and that we can be the conduits of that good news, that gospel of Jesus Christ to all who will hear. Father, we thank you for the another opportunity to be together, to worship you, to, to look into your word. Father, help us not to go away from here. <laughs> As has been said so often, we don't want to leave here stirred but never changed. Help us to be transformed by what we have seen and heard and now know. For it's in His precious name, the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.